Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This is a chance for local people or people with a local connection to sit down and talk about what is going on with them in the Fishers community. This is a part of my local Fishers Indiana News blog that began in January of 2012. I started these podcasts in 2016 and have been going ever since. Now, here's the latest edition of the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm at the office of the Town Post Network, and the man who was at the helm of the Town Post Network is Tom Brett, making a return visit on my podcast. Always great to talk to you, Tom. Absolutely. Thanks for coming in, Larry. I always uh, enjoy talking with you. And you know something? Uh, in the past, we've had to go to conference rooms. We sound like we're in the basement. You have this <laughs> You have this nice acoustical tile in your office. This is so nice. Yeah, well, we had to put it up because... Here in the Spark Building, where we are, we got 14-foot ceilings. We've mm-hmm. got, you know, uh, hard floors, hard walls, hard ceilings. So when we were talking here, it sounded like chaos was going on. <laughs> so we, we put the sound panels. We had Technology yeah. Interiors. All Rick, uh, Rick Gorn, our buddy across the street, come over and in- installed all this, and it really just took the sound down. So mm-hmm. I've actually got a podcast studio. Um, you do, yes. Coincidentally, and it also helps cut down the sound other times as well. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of the big pluses. I was at City Hall, of course. City Hall's getting ready for the wrecking ball. But I was in there, and they moved me to a conference room, one of the conference rooms they've just set up, and it had higher ceilings than you have. Mm-hmm. And people thought, I mean, we were in the basement of the, <laughs> the City Hall. <laughs> I felt sorry for the people I was talking to, but there was just no other place to put us yeah, at that time. Yeah. And, and we can talk about City Hall. That's going to be an interesting – by the way, the new City Hall is not being called City Hall. It's right. being called the Arts and Municipal Complex. Correct. So, uh, and I asked somebody, is that like set in stone? And the answer was, mm, not really. <laughs> Still thinking about it. <laughs> to not put City Hall on that. But uh, I always thought that uh, the design was, and the people have wanted an arts facility here downtown for so long. Yeah, yeah. And you have to give the mayor credit. He jumped at the chance. And he really, when he first described it for me on a podcast, he said, this is really an arts center with about Three levels of office space for the city. He yeah. doesn't really see it as mostly a city hall. He sees it mostly as an arts center. So right. the the uh, the renderings I've seen are really interesting. What are your thoughts? I, I'm excited about it. Um, you know, having seen what's happened to Fishers over the last 12 years has just really been amazing. I, I have a lot of friends that come to Fishers or that come see our offices for the first time and they get lost. They get off 116th Street and where did all this stuff come from? <laughs> Um, and I think, you know, when you, whether political or not, you know, like the mayor or not, doesn't matter. You, you have to respect somebody who had a vision and had a supporting city council that actually pulled it off. And I, 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 go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, and I, I think that says a lot. Um, whether politically you agree with him or not, um, you can hang different things on different people on city on the city council, but... At the end of the day, when you look around, we've been witnessing more history being made in the last 12 years than it was probably done in the first 120 years of this city. And you're in the Spark Building, which uh, you were telling me you just barely got in in time to get this office, and you're in the heart of downtown right mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. But I still tell the story. I moved here in 1991, and people don't believe me when I tell them that the town hall was right across from 
the depot building where I guess it's now Botanical Gardens. It was a art gallery. Right, right, right. That little old building that was the town hall, and right. nobody believes me. And of course, they were in the process of building the the town hall now, city hall. But right, right. Uh, we were a little place when I got here. We were less than ten thousand population. We're at a hundred thousand now. I know, and I remember when I was in college at Ball State, my freshman and sophomore years, driving up sixty nine. And um, stopping at McDonald's, mm-hmm. and it was a Shell station, and that was it. That was it, yes. You know, and the only, the only reason I knew that McDonald's so well is because a buddy of mine actually worked there. And when I go through the drive-through, if he was working, I got free food. So well, that's an incentive, <laughs> man. Well, you know, when I first moved here, and even before that, the only reason you knew you're in downtown is that you were the railroad tracks, right? Which, of course, now is a, t- a tunnel uh, underneath. Right, right. I have to say, I really enjoyed seeing you at Spark Fishers. You, yeah, uh, you're the yeah. announcer on the parade, and got a chance to meet your. Uh, wife and your, yep, your yep. grandson. It was a joy to do that. Yep, yep. And uh, I was taking my pictures just really a little bit further down from you, and I could hear. And, uh, uh-huh. and that's a special kind of responsibility. You know, I've done it, you've done it, but you've done it now for a few years. And uh, just giving those added extra little facts to to the crowd as as the the uh, as the parade goes by, you know that's that's kind of a special uh, thing to do. And and I know when I prepared for it, they had a couple of uh, high school students helping me, and I passed the mic to them, tried to pass <laughs> it around. But uh, it was uh, it was a real really interesting experience. And I and you were kind of by yourself. You had help from your wife, but yeah. you, other than that, you were you were the voice. Well, that's well, that, I tell you, Larry, that. To me, that's like the most fun thing to do is I love to announce events. I like to MC events. Um, I never knew I liked to do it, but I started doing it for the Geist Half Marathon way back. And then I was on the radio for a while, the Smiley Morning Show, and I enjoyed that. But the more I've done it, the more I realize locally that I can bring kind of that flavor of the local guy. Like, so when you add to little things about things happening or, hey, by the way, it's our sesquicentennial for Fishers this year or, oh, by the way, you know, this happened, whatever. Um, I did the guys fireworks this year. I announced those from Wolfie's deck and I was streaming that live, which failed miserably, by the way. You know, um, lot live video is a real risky thing. Well, it, it was terrible because all the, you know, I, I keep forgetting that when everybody's on 5G, nobody has 5G. So um, <laughs> the feed went down. The video quality was horrific. It was a nightmare. However, um, the people that were on the deck actually got to hear me announcing it kind of live, you know, kind of doing the lead up to the fireworks. And I had some a couple of people come up to me afterwards and say, hey, I'm new to Geist. Um, one guy said, I'm new to Geist. I just moved here like three months ago. And I really appreciate all the anecdotal mm-hmm. information you gave. He said, I feel like I learned a lot about where I live. And I love it here. And I didn't know why, but you gave me a lot of uh, feedback. And I told him about the you know, history of the dam and history of mm-hmm. Geist. And mm-hmm. we talked about history of the fireworks show and how that started. And I think, you know, I think as, as I get older, and obviously I think I can speak for you as, as well, I think our perspective on the town is, is becoming more and more important because there are so many more new people coming into Fishers in the Geist area. And I think people like to have that background history. They want to know not just where they live, but they want to know how it got here and, and why are these roads named this way. And 
I had this bright idea, Tom. This was uh, 2019. Excuse me. <clears throat> I was going to do this podcast series on the history of Geist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And man, I got some. I went to the library. I got all this information. Got all these people lined up. And of course, then we had something called a pandemic. Yes. Yeah, heard of it. <laughs> yeah, I got it, and I got you know. I just and I had some health issues. It was almost like that had to go to. By yeah. the way, I still got all that information. But I think I f- we should do it. Well, we'll think. About I think. That. I think you should do it. I mean, I, think, I, think, <laughs> I was going to say, I would love, but I think. I think we should. I think uh, it has to be documented. And and I tell well, you, yeah. people appreciate the fact that you just take the time to. Give them the background and and listen to it or not. But think about it from a new person's perspective. You moved to Fishers. You came from California. You moved here. You got an apartment here at the Spark, and you're living upstairs, and you're trying to get to know your neighbors. Wouldn't it be nice to have some kind of, uh, I don't know, onboarding or you know some kind of way to learn about the area and and feel at home? Because the more you know about where you live, the more it's going to be home to you. And Germantown, you know, that was a town that was exactly. there before they uh, that was flooded over for uh, the, for the uh, to get the Geist Reservoir uh, going. And and Clarence Geist, even though it was named after him, he didn't have much to do with it. It turns out. Well, but, he uh, ended up dying before it was done, and he didn't even live to, yeah. to see it uh, done. But we'll, we'll leave that. But I'm, yeah. I'm actually, you know, I'm going to talk about Geist a little bit more in, later on. But uh, I thought this year's Spark Fishers was interesting. You know, something exciting always happens. Mm-hmm. The first year we had Spark, uh, we had really hot weather. I mean, it was sweltering hot. The next year, I had a, a family reunion I was kind of required to go to, so you you were here and uh, were there for the giant rainstorm during yes. the parade. Yes. Well, this last one, because when the one, then we had one after the pandemic, and that, that went well, but I, I think that uh, we had we were all on edge this year because the radar showed rain was on the yeah. way. Remember that? Yeah. Everybody was checking their phones. Oh, my gosh, it's going to rain any moment. It never rained. It, it all it dissipated. dissipated right over Carmel. <laughs> you know, Zionsville Carmel got doused, but mm-hmm. then it got to Fishers and it just stopped. It just dissipated. So, yeah, the, two years ago when we had the downpour in the middle of the parade, um, one thing you don't think about. So, the, the, you've done the announcing. You, you sit up on a platform. Mm-hmm. You've got a, like a ten by ten tent over the top of you, and it protects the equipment. And you've got this little card table, and you've got two chairs. Well, what you don't realize is how valuable that tent is in open air when there's rain dumping down on people around I you. I think you got a bit crowded down there. <laughs> you got very crowded. <laughs> and I felt so bad because as you know, pr- announcing praise is probably the hardest thing to do. It, at least in my professional career is announcing anything because parades don't have the, you know, the timing of them is off. Some people drop out, they don't tell you. Some people have banners, they don't tell you. Some people take up a whole city block, you know, that master used Taekwondo. I mean, that, what do you for, say? For God's sake, they had like 800 people in the they parade. Did. They right? did. They had, yes. they had vans and buses. They were doing karate demonstrations. They were breaking boards and all this stuff was going on. So trying to keep pace with that is impossible. Then you throw on top of that a thunderstorm with all these girls in convertibles that mm-hmm. had to get the top up. It was it was chaos. So this year, when I saw that on the radar, I'm thinking, "Oh my lord, it's going to happen again." And I just told Jeannie, my wife, I said, "You know, just be prepared when people start crashing our tent <laughs> because it's going to happen it's, again." Your tent is not that big. No, it's, it's ten amazing. by ten. It's amazing how people crash into it <laughs> <laughs> to get out of the rain. Yeah. But uh, no, I have to tell you, last year I, I I didn't do it this year because I really couldn't get pictures and, and cover 
the festival like I wanted. Last year, they put me at Holland Park to do yeah. the announcement. The problem with that was the wind was really bad, and I... I had a clipboard, but I wasn't sure my papers were going <laughs> to stay. And uh, luckily, I had my niece and, and her husband, and they were running around trying to tell me which unit was next. Because as you know, no, as you kind of alluded to, no parade goes in the proper order. No. So you no. Do, you basically have to have three by five cards of papers and just pull them out as people come. Right. And uh, it was I, the one thing that happened there, and I've never, I can't remember this ever happening to me, as I was coming down off the, the platform. This little girl came up to me and said, can I have your autograph? <laughs> that really? <laughs> I think I gave her some candy and said, that's yeah. more invaluable than my... <laughs> my than you my, signed uh, it like Larry Bird or something <laughs> and handed it to her? I could have put anything down there. But, uh, I, you know, I, I'm, uh, we, you and I both remember the Freedom Festival. It oh, lasted yeah. for It started in 1989, I believe. And I was I volunteered there. I volunteered at Spark. I've done, tried to help out where I can. You have as well. Yep. And uh, we've seen that whole festival emerge into something different. But I think as we grow as a city, I suppose that's the kind of thing that will grow with it. It has, and I think. <coughs> excuse me. I sure. think the Spark was. Spark was a good refresh, um, and, I, and I think you know Leah McGrath uh, was instrumental in spearheading that first one and kind of making that shift. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's funny. I think the, as the city is getting bigger and it, it's getting, um, you know, downtown's being built, there's a lot of new buildings, a lot of things. Um, I think a lot of people confuse growth, um, the growth of Fishers, they confuse that with the history and, you know, like we're losing something like we, you know, when they tore down that building next to the train depot, the old city hall, which became like a courthouse. And, you know, people were all upset about that. I was like, what are you upset about? That building was built in like 89. It's a concrete block building. We're going to talk about the, the old, they call it the train station. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, that was that was built in the 90s, I believe. And, yeah. And it was infested with termites. <laughs> and I don't think there was really an easy way to keep it. It was uh, valuable at the time it was built. It had a purpose, but it had kind of outlived its purpose. Right. And I never found it iconic or historic. Some people did, but I, I wrote at the time I didn't think it was. It, it's not. And, and I think a lot of people, you know, I, I guess they get a little confused over what's historic and what we should preserve and, and what we shouldn't and what, and, and, and just look at what we have that's new and fresh and all that. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm one that I, I'm a little more sentimental. I like, I like to think back and reflect back to what was here. And I like to know the history of things like, you know, getting a tour of the, of the, um, the house. Um, I think it's called the China house. I believe mm -hmm. it. Yes. Prairie. Over at Connor Prairie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, getting a tour of that and hearing the history of how Eli Lilly came up there and, it, to me, that that's where my sense of place is, right? Is that history of people who've come before us coming up Allisonville Road when it was a gravel dirt road as a retreat from the big city, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I don't know, I, I, I think I like to think about those things in the history of Geis. It obviously has me drawn to Geis. I love the history of that. My grandpa fished in it before there's even houses on it. Same here, yeah. And so that history I feel special to. Um, when I see the development of downtown Fishers and I see the trail and all these great new things, I don't feel, I don't feel any special feeling towards those things because they're brand new. The Spark Building is beautiful, but you know, mm -hmm. if they tore it down tomorrow, I'd say, "Well, what are you going to build next?" All right. <laughs> 
Um, Agreed. And I think yeah. most people in Fishers kind of feel that way. And so I think you know a lot of people get put off because of all the new people coming in. They think, well, you know, they don't have any. You know, what are they doing here? You know, they don't have any history here. It's like, well, you know, neither did you <laughs> until a few years ago. So <laughs> at one time, we all had no history. Let's yeah. build the history together. And I think that you know this new city hall slash you know art center, whatever complex they're calling it, um, the new trail, and all these things. Let's just embrace them and, and take them for what they are. And that, and that's kind of what that whole time capsule thing was about. And you, you brought up history, and that was the next thing I had on my agenda. You know, I'm going to you and I both in our own way. We'll be helping out with the sesquicentennial yes. for Fishers. I'm working with the city on some podcasts. We've got the uh, one coming up with uh, someone who is familiar with the Native American history yep. of this area, which is a very fascinating to me. But you have a time capsule you're putting together. So tell us about that. Yeah, so I, ha- I have this thing for time capsules. Back when I was in fourth grade, uh, the bicentennial of the United States in seven- 1976, uh, my elementary school put together a time capsule. And I remember doing it. I remember it being really cool. I remember we had a ceremony we put in the ground. And um, long story short, we were supposed to dig up in 2000. The principal at the time, George Breuer, couldn't find it. They never (laughs) dug it up. And it kept me up at night. I mean, when you're a kid. Was it ever found? Well, so I went back. um, I hired a company to come back, and we brought Mr. Breuer back, a bunch of old teachers back. And I think it was like 2016, 2017, uh, we went back to it. Now it's, it's now a church, but um, the church agreed to let us come out there, and we actually did find it. We did dig it up, and we did get some of the pieces out of it, most of it out. We made a little documentary about it, put yeah. up on YouTube. That's great. But it was really interesting yeah. to me. So when my oldest, when my oldest daughter um, Taylor was born in 1992, I put together a time capsule for her. She, I said, "When you turn 30, we can open it." Well, her 30th birthday was two months ago. Well, it was last month, actually. We're still in July, I guess. So it was last month. So she got to open her time capsule from when she was born, when she was 30. So I started getting involved in these sesquicentennial activities. And I said, you know, what if we did a time capsule? We got a new city hall. Why don't we put a time capsule in the keystone of the new city hall? And maybe 50 years from now, they could open it up and know what Fishers was like. In 2023. That's a great idea. Well, so are you, uh, I assume you have some ideas what you would like to put in there. So I, I want to make this a collaborative effort. So I'm asking you to mm-hmm. join me on the committee, which I think you've already I have agreed, agreed to, to do. do that, yes. So I want to recruit a committee of people who just want to volunteer to help us curate what's going to go in it. And so on townpost.com, we've got a link set up. It's, it's on the homepage. You can click on it. There's a picture of a DeLorean. And so we're kind of doing that back to the future looking theme. But if you click on that link, you can actually suggest something that we should put in it. Um, and there's some, not guardrails, but we kind of put up some loose things. Like, you know, we don't put anything that's too big, obviously. Uh, anything that's going to, we can't put a cupcake in there, right? It's not going to last 50 years. unless Maybe a McDonald's hamburger would last 50 oh, years. but well, That's a scary thought. <laughs> but not a cupcake. <laughs> but, um, you know, we're going to curate what's going to go in it. We're going to work with the local schools and have the kids put some things together to put into the time capsule. And really, we want to kind of just document what life is like um, when Fisher's turned 150. And so in 200 years, uh, our 200th anniversary and the bicentennial of Fisher's, um, I probably won't be around that day unless I live to be 116 or whatever. I will not be around. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, they can have a a sense of what life was like in Fishers in 2023. And I thought, you know, 
I'm a little sentimental when it comes to that kind of stuff. I just enjoy doing that kind of thing. But I think that would help bring a lot of people together um, and help bring, you know, small children could put something in there. And when they get to be older and they've got grandkids and they come back um, in 50 years, they can say, I've got something in that time capsule in the cornerstone of that building. That's a, that's, that's a great idea, and I look forward to working with you on it. I want to talk about your business a little bit because uh, you, you're well-known locally for publishing magazines like uh, Fisher's Magazine, Geist Magazine, others in the area. Uh, what, you've just, what I found interesting is that you've taken that concept and you have spread that out. You have um, magazines much like that everywhere, and you've just opened uh, one in Muncie. Yeah, so we started, uh, I started Geist Magazine is where I started 18 years ago. It was called the At Geist Community Newsletter, black and white. We started evolving over time. We started one in Fishers. Uh, we started one in Carmel. We started licensing in 2009, 2010. And then 2016, we converted the whole business over to a franchise system. Um, and we're now selling franchises in other communities to people like me that would want to do a publication in their hometown. Um, right now we have we had 18 territories. We are in Indiana and uh, Northern Kentucky. Um, we just signed on Muncie. So Jeff Hearn, who was a local mm. uh, township trustee, mm-hmm. elected official, um, he um, decided he wants to go into this business. He he's been watching what we're doing for years. He's now um, opening up Muncie Magazine this fall. So working with uh, the businesses in Delaware County. We're working with uh, the mayor of Muncie. We worked with the business development, uh, economic development committee up there. And um, come probably October, we'll have a magazine up in Muncie as well, number 19. And I really do like your concept because your idea is not to have today's news or mm-hmm. tomorrow's news or yesterday's news. You, you really do uh, center on feature stories. And I don't know, I won't say it that way. I would suspect that every community, no matter how large or small, has hundreds of feature stories there. You just have to find them, and that has been your secret sauce. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I, I tell you, um, you know, 18 years ago when I come up with the business model and starting to prototype it at the time and really just kind of see what would work, um, the idea was if we had – yeah, I had a digital background, a dot-com startup, and I had a publishing background. So I, my thought was if I could marry print with a website at the time. There was no Facebook back then. There was no mm. Yahoo back then. Or, so it was Yahoo. There was no Google. Google was not there yet. Yeah. No, and there was no YouTube, obviously, and all these things. But if I get a website to marry up with print and work them together in a local community and put the name of the community at the top of it, that people would be endeared to that, and they want to know what's happening in their community. And that stuck. I mean, it just it just worked. It was a very simple formula, but it's something we've just kind of tweaked over time. The, the basic model is exactly the same. It's just we've integrated in digital, we've you know social media, we've integrated uh, programmatic advertising now, and some other things we're doing. So now we're kind of becoming a, you know, the, the goal was to be like a Rupert Murdoch of the small community, right? You want to own the newspaper and the TV and the radio, well. With podcasting and with YouTube and video and with your website and with print, we can kind of do that. Mm-hmm. And you know, we, we were kind of laughing before we went on about the democratization of media. And, and that's something I've been a student of for years, just watching it deteriorate. It, it, it's gotten to the point where anybody can do this. Larry can do his own radio show. 
right? Tom Britt can do his own video show live or on demand or whatever I want. And I can put it on Hulu or put on some kind of on-demand channel or just put on YouTube and get a following. And I think that is that is so important um, for the industry, but it's also important for us as a business model to know that we're just leveraging the technology that's already there and people's wishes and desires to learn about what's happening around them. If you can, if you can do that well locally and just curate it for them, then you can be, you can make money at it. We are recording this on July 19th and it just, and for those people who, you, know, you never know when people will listen, but if they listen before this event, you have something coming up this following Thursday. And what you are doing is putting on a presentation explaining to people how, using these tools you've just talked about, how do you promote yourself, your business? Right. Uh, um, talk about this webinar you have coming up. Yeah, so so we started a couple years ago, Larry, right before covid um, I was reading the Wall Street Journal, which I canceled my subscription. That's beside the point. But I was reading the Wall Street Journal, and Pelotron, which is you know the home cycling, virtual cycling thing, um, they were projecting these huge earnings coming up in 2020. This is right before the pandemic. And I started reading some background information about Pelotron and how they were marketing and what they were doing. And what I found was fascinating. What Pelotron did was they found out that all the lifetime fitnesses and all the big fitness uh, franchises around the country, they found their floor plans for their fitness facilities. And they found in those floor plans that there was a certain corner of the building where they always held their cycling classes, their spinning classes. So Pelotron geofenced, okay, mm-hmm. new, new term here, geofenced, the corner of that building and people that went into that geofence with their cell phones start seeing ads for Pelotron mm-hmm. because they knew they had a high propensity that they like spinning. They like biking. Maybe they like doing this at home. And so they could start targeting people based upon where they went in a gym. And I was like, well, geofencing, what the heck is that? So I started reading up on it. Well, that technology now has gotten to the point where we're now selling um, programmatic advertising. And we work through, uh, we're wholesaling it, so we buy it through the um, the cloud. And basically what it does is allows us to buy digital ad inventory, video inventory, even streaming TV ads, and target people based upon where they've been physically, websites they've been on, things they're searching for, or, or if they've even been to your own website and left, you can target them to come back to your website. So basically, it's, it's targeting people based upon your digital footprint of what you're doing and what your propensities are, what you're looking for. So for example, I can target somebody online that's likely to move in the next 90 days. You think, well, who would be interested in that? Well, Plenty of people. <laughs> right. Realtors for one and builders for another. And just you could long, have a long list. Mortgage of companies, exactly. moving companies. Mm-hmm. Um, you also can target people that um, have a Visa card and have bought NyQuil in the last 12 months. You can target people based upon their age, their demographics. Um, we just had a campaign we just did for a retirement facility um, on the northeast side of town. They had an open house. And they've been advertising traditionally, like, you know, buying ads in publications, not ours. They were buying in a competitor. But regardless of that, they were using traditional advertising to get people to come to an open house. And nobody was showing up. We did a campaign, 
And with digital, we actually can see where people have gone and set up a conversion zone. So we can see if they actually came to your location and track the foot traffic from the advertising. So we did a 12-day campaign. We targeted 10 miles from their location. We wanted anybody over the age of 75. We also wanted anybody who had an elderly parent living in their home. And we set up a conversion zone of their facility. And we had 30 conversions, Mm -hmm. 30 people that got targeted, saw the ads, and then came to their facility in 12 days. As opposed to the previous ad campaign that produced zero. That's really interesting. As always, whenever I talk to you, we run out of time. But I've got one last thing I want to talk sure. about with you. And that's where you started this business, over at the area of Geis, near Geist Lake. You had a great office there, and I know you enjoy being here, but you still have strong ties to Geist. Right. You know, Geist is, is, is facing a crisis because Geist needs to be maintained and, and cleaned up. And from everything I have read, from all the experts I have seen, if nothing happens over a number of years, guys could go toxic, which is a horrible thing for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a consensus that something must be done. I think the question that is before us is who's going to pay for it? And, you know, some people think it should only be the, the people who own property on the lake. Some people say, well, the pe- people in neighborhoods adjacent to the lake also get a benefit from that. They should pay something. And that seems to be the debate. Do you think we have a solution in sight? I mean, I this debate's gone on for a long time. It's been in the courts. It's been in the legislature. It still isn't resolved yet. Uh, do you see a, an endpoint for this? I do. Um, I, I really think the Conservancy District will happen. Um, the hard part, in my opinion, has already been done, and that was getting the legislature to make some changes, getting Citizens Energy on board, and getting them to agree to um, not stand in the way of it. Um, and if you think about it, I mean, if you think about any reservoir, um, it's just like a big – it's like a big bathtub with one outlet at the end and river water's dirty. And as it carries that silt, you know, going toxic is, is one thing. I think it's the, I, I don't call it a scare tactic. The one thing is the conservatives or um, advocates say, well, it's going to go toxic and you won't be able to swim in it. And you know, the whole scare, but the reality of it is the bigger problem is that the thing's going to fill up with silt. It's going to get so shallow that you'll be able to walk, you'll be able to step across it in the middle at some point. And we'll go back to Fall Creek where it was in 1923. So the the only solution, in my opinion, is to get all the stakeholders to pay a piece of this. Now, the people who don't live on the water, and these are all the folks that are very vocal about being against it, you know, I'm not going to pay for that. I get no benefit from the lake, which is, is a mood ar- argument to me. But... Regardless of that, they're all complaining that they don't want to have to pay for this. And I understand that, right? Nobody wants to pay more money for something that they don't see a value in. But there's also fishermen. There's also boaters. um, There's people that have slips at the marina. um, There are people that don't live on the water and people don't live in the district that still enjoy the lake. And those people, surprisingly have been very cooperative. And if you talk to fishermen, initially they were against it because at the time there was a lot of misinformation out there 
that was stirred up by a party that's now on board with this. But at the time, they were stirring up misinformation, passing out flyers at the at the boat ramp, saying they're going to start charging like a thousand dollars a year for a boating permit, and you know it's going to be way too expensive. You'll never be able to afford this, and they're going to price you off this lake. And they got all the fishermen upset. Well, when they everybody calmed down, they realized, wait a minute, that was just a bunch of misinformation. The fishermen, for the most part, are like. I wouldn't mind paying an extra $80 a year for a sticker for my boat if it's going to keep this thing open because I like the bass fish out here. Mm-hmm. So I, I, call it the, I call it the vocal minority. Um, it's, it's a lot of people who, trying to sound like a lot of people. But in reality, when you look at how many petitions were signed the first time through, and even though a lot of those were thrown out, there was still a majority of the people who were willing to pay more money that own land in and around Geist Reservoir that would be in favor of having a conservancy district. So without some kind of revenue model, without some kind of way for long-term uh, sustainability for the lake, then you don't really have a plan. And and you can't just keep passing the hat every year to kill weeds. I mean, that, that will pacify things, and visually it will be okay. But underneath all that, that's still, still building up. It's getting deeper and deeper, and it's getting shallower and shallower. And over time... That has to be addressed, and you can't do that with weed killer. And the city has, uh, has, has, has an interest in this as well, building that huge park, which is still under construction and is going to be quite a, a park that's Geist Waterfront Park. There's another Geist Park that the county has kind of downstream, but right. not exactly on Geist. But this will be the, I think it was the last uh, lakefront property available, and it was uh, basically uh, taken from a, a mining company that had mined it out, and uh, and the city used uh, the legal authority they have under the law to uh, acquire that. And that uh, that once that's finished, uh, I've seen some of the renderings on that. That's going to be quite an asset. We're about we are out of time. I've already gone over time. <laughs> I do this all the time. Anything you want to mention? I didn't think to ask before we wrap this up. No, I, I would just say thank you for what you're doing. I think um, you know being in this business. Um, I say the media business loosely, but, you know, giving all your time, all, all the volunteer, you, you're not getting paid to do this, right? Nobody's right. cutting you a check to do this. No, this is volunteer and, work. And you're, you're covering school board meetings. You're covering stuff at the city. So thank you for what you're doing. Well, thank you. I yeah. admire what you're doing. Um, I admire you personally. And uh, I just have to say that, um, you know, you're, you're an asset to this community. And if people want to, Learn more about the city. They they want to feel more at home. I just say start following Larry and just just read his stuff because he'll keep you in, in the loop of what's happening. And I, and I have to say, uh, you the man. You're the man who took the chance to start the business, and there is risk involved in that. You took that risk and you found your niche. And not only is it working here, but you're you're franchising it out elsewhere. And I think you should get credit for that. And I think there is a an important place for uh, for feature stories and you do you, you people do it well thank you yeah well, thanks for your it's a labor time. of love it, and it has to be for me i can assure you <laughs> the, the, certainly not a profit motive for me it's yeah. uh, you know everybody has their volunteer thing in retirement and and this was my volunteer thing in retirement tom you're, always you're good a, at it always a pleasure to talk to you yeah thanks. you too larry thank you so much Thanks for listening to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. If you like the podcast, please let others know. You can find it on most platforms where you go for podcasts. Just search using this phrase. 
Podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. Also, if you listen on a platform such as iTunes, please take a moment, rate and comment on my podcast series. So thanks for listening, and please be safe and be kind. Music